Did you hear about the Inflation Reduction Act? I got the awesome opportunity on my other podcast, Scream, to interview two industry experts on their opinion of how the Inflation Reduction Act is going to impact green tech startups. This is an interview taken directly from Stream. I hope you enjoy it. I'll be right back at the end of the episode to close everything out. But I hope you really enjoyed this episode with John Gilly from Green Island EV and Franz Hochstrasser from Raise Green. You're here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. How is the Inflation Reduction Act going to impact climate tech startups? Prepare to be stunned by the revelations in this episode as we delve into the facts behind this new legislation and its effects on the industry. We are sitting down with my guest, John Gilly, founder of Green Island EV, and Franz Hochstrasser, CEO of Raise Green, to discuss the intricacies of the Inflation Reduction Act and in what it means for the future of clean tech startups. You won't want to miss a single second of this informative and eye-opening discussion on the realities of the act and its impact on businesses and the environment. Today, I am joined by two really awesome people, both Franz and John, and we are going to be talking more about the Inflation Reduction Act. And today we're really going to be focused on how this applies to startups and what is it going to look like and how is this all going to pan out for what the startup community is going to be able to do with this new bill that's floating around all this new money. First, I'd love to start off with Franz. Do you mind telling us a bit about what Raise Green is and just giving us a little intro to yourself and then we'll move over to John. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Billy. And hello, everyone. I am Franz Hochstrasser, CEO and co-founder of Raise Green. And Raise Green is the climate investment platform. We let anyone invest in climate solutions for as little as $100. And when we say climate solutions, we mean companies that are building electric vehicles, solar, energy efficiency, as well as sustainable materials and other types of advanced manufacturing, anything that feasibly reduces emissions and makes our communities more resilient to the impacts of climate change will be the types of businesses that we will consider putting onto the marketplace. And we've been doing it for a number of years now, a few thousand investors who are using us now on a regular basis. And we're ultimately building the largest online climate investing community in the world. Sweet. Thank you so much for that intro, Franz, and letting everybody hear about what you're doing, which is awesome. John, do you mind telling us about Green Island EV. Yeah, thanks, Billy. Hi, Franz. Good to see you again. Thanks for having me. I'll back up a little bit. I started in the EV space around 2015, working alongside the team at Line Electric and spent about five years there really learning EV and around school buses and commercial transportation. I also have founded a company called trucktractortrailer.com, which is in the used commercial truck space, buying and selling of used trucks, tractors, and trailers. And why that's important is that I'm front and center in commercial transportation. Before my time at Lion, I was worked for a company called First Group. And First Group, you might know them as a portfolio company that owns First Student, First Transit, 
Greyhound bus. So the largest public commercial transit organization in North America, probably the world. I have a really decent lens into transportation and then now the electrification of transportation and recently had founded Green Island DV to build microtransit units in New York, my home state. When I say microtransit, I'm talking type A school buses, smaller frame, transit buses, last mile delivery. And we're proudly raising money through Raise Green. And so after this meeting, please visit raisegreen.com and click the invest button. Yeah, so we got Green Island EV is up on Raise Green's platform. That's how we connected here. And so love to be able to bring together our mutual knowledge about what's going on in this space to be able to talk about this Inflation Reduction Act here and how it's going to impact the United States and where we're seeing this going. So I'd love to just put the question out there and Franz or John, if you want to answer it, either one of you can think on this, but what do you see with this new bill? Where do you see this going and how is it going to impact the transportation community in terms of trying to make this transition to a greener transportation movement? Where do you see this bill being able to impact the transition that we are having here? Great question, Billy. And I think at a high level, I'll back up for a moment just to acknowledge how transformational the last year and a half of legislation has been in this country for the transition to a clean energy economy. Not only did the bipartisan infrastructure law pass with an enormous amount of new funding for clean energy transition and specifically for school buses, as well as other types of electrification of the transport sector, but also the Chips and Science Act passed, which provides fundamental research and development dollars into all sorts of climate solutions. And then, as you noted, the Inflation Reduction Act passed with a Congressional Budget Office score of about $370 billion flowing into the space. But when the private sector analyzed this at Credit Suisse, they found that actually it's more likely because there many of these programs are uncapped, there will be around 800 billion of US federal spending flowing into the climate and clean energy space. And that actually will catalyze another 1.7 trillion over the next 10 years. So what that means for investors is certainty. Now, these technologies that may have been questioned in the past now have the backing of the federal government putting their dollars behind them and shoring up the market in a way that we really haven't seen before this moment. Whereas folks made many bets in cleantech 1.0 and there was a lot of uncertainty in this version of the economy and the transition that's happening in the climate tech age or climate tech 2.0, we have that certainty of federal dollars coming behind it. And that's enormously beneficial. And Franz, good take. And I agree on all points. On its own, I think the Inflation Reduction Act has little impact on its own but part of major transformational platform that Franz talked about, the 370 billion to 800 billion, that's meaningful. And certainly I think that you have to look at the IRA for what it is. And for my seat as a commercial operator looking to make money in commercial trucking, it's a catalyst. It's certainly not the end all solution that privately held commercial fleets need to help them migrate from a diesel based fleet to electric or hydrogen fuel cell technology or whatever's next. Now I'm certain there's going to be something next. It's certainly a catalyst to change and will help to accelerate probably a 20 to 30 year transformational movement. So the key point I want to make is that we are still in the top of the first inning of a nine inning baseball game. It's really early days. And, uh, but I think to Francis' point again, I think all the bipartisan movement here has demonstrated that this is for real. 
Yeah, definitely. It just shows the federal government is putting funding money through this. So like Franz mentioned, it's a lot sure of an investment. And do you see there going to be a lot more research and development starting through this bill as well? Like you mentioned before with the other bill, or do you think there's going to be a lot more startups being built from this bill? Here? I think you're going to see both. You already are seeing both. The energy secretary, Secretary Granholm, had a good hoc take on Chris Hayes just a couple of days ago about how this has already catalyzed billions of dollars of private sector investment into manufacturing plants in the U.S. for battery materials, for solar modules, and for actual vehicles, OEMs. And that type of a stimulus really is intended to and will, and we saw it during the Recovery Act back in the Obama administration in 2009, it will pull an industry forward. Um, and that's what it's intended to do, and it works. As John says, first couple pitches even of the top of the first inning and those early at-bats are important to get on base and move the smart money in behind it from the private sector. From my standpoint where I sit, seeing all these programs, many of which are backed up by the tax credit provisions that are now open to any types of technology. So their investment tax credit and production tax credit are largely industry agnostic. And there's electric vehicle tax credits, there's manufacturing tax credits, and those coupled with the roughly 100 programs that come from the Inflation Reduction Act, I think give us the basis of a new manufacturing strategy here in the U.S. that it underpins the innovation both at the bench level as well as on the implementation and commercialization side of the transportation sector, the energy sector, home electrification, and more. So it's a really exciting time. And frankly, I think 2023 is the year of climate investing because all these programs are going into effect over the next year. And on top of that, it's the year of climate investing, both in the private market, but also the public market, because a lot of the EV players have gotten hammered in the market in the last six to 12 months, which will correct itself with as the market proves out. I think relative to the IRA and new funding coming in for startups is that innovation is going to come from startups. I think it's proof that at one point in time, believe it or not, that Tesla was a startup and they really challenged the legacy OEMs to think differently. It took about 10, 15 years for the legacy OEMs on the consumer auto side really to wake up and feel the pain of losing market share to Tesla. And I don't have to tell you that now the consumer EV market, every consumer automotive OEM has an EV solution today and a full pipeline of new products, not just for 2023 to 24, 25. Now in that innovation will continue because I think we'll start to see alternative fuel sources as we start to complement or even move away from lithium battery electric, right? Into hydrogen and green and solar and who else knows what's in the pipeline of innovation. So I think specific, Billy, to your challenge to us on the startup community, I think we have to be innovators. I'm talking we, the startup community, we have to be innovative. But at the same time, you have to make money. So you have to have innovation, but also something that you can sell to generate revenue and profits to fund your business. And then you'll have proof of concept. So it's not easy. It's hard. But the opportunities, especially with this funding at the national level, the federal level, also the state level, is exciting. Yeah, it's all very exciting to see this coming through. And where do you see the last six months, we kind of this recession take hold. Do you see this bill as 
helping the climate tech sector in terms of investment over the next 12 months, especially in 2023? Or do you see this investment climate or economic climate? How is that going to be impacted by this bill? I don't think that the correction in the EV market was recession-based, not the entirety. I think what drove the correction in the EV market was lack of a path to revenue. And I think that the, the smart investors came into the market and rationalized, got behind the true leaders, those that would survive and thrive and really penalized some of these companies that would never turn a profit or commercialize. And I think we can all agree that maybe 24 months ago, 30 months ago, there's a lot of companies that were funded via SPAC that you could deem now reckless. It was based on just market frenzy and some of these companies would never survive. And so I think it's humbled the community, the EV community. I think we've had to be smarter, had to be more pragmatic and more realistic with our expectations. And so I think with the combination of the funding coming in at the federal and state levels, I think with innovation starting to settle some bit, innovation will always occur and transform. But now we have proof of concept, not just with Tesla, but you have a number of OEMs that are now coming to market with their EVs. And as we start to sell more and we start to drive EVs more and we start to use EVs in the commercial, uh, let's say the school bus sector and the transit sector and last mile delivery, we're going to learn a lot. And from that learning, we'll be able to step back and drive even more innovation in the market. Franz, did you have anything to add? No, I honestly couldn't agree more. I think there's some super ambitious predictions out of Bloomberg that does probably, in my view, some of the best analysis on the EV market. And Frankly, I think we are on pace to exceed them in terms of deployment, even despite the headwinds that we've seen. As John was saying, every OEM in the market now has at least one EV model. They're moving towards fully electrified fleets. Cities are moving toward further cordon tolling or policies to prevent internal combustion engines from moving through town centers in a manner that pollutes those neighborhoods more aggressively. And I think the confluence, though, of the investment thesis that's emerging around this safe government-backed bet and the technology becoming more ubiquitous and less risky really leads to a super exciting time to be in the market. And frankly, that's true across the board on climate solutions. The market signal, I was just reading today, 2022 was the first year that green debt products outpaced fossil debt products worldwide. For the first time now, you've got a bigger debt market funding climate solutions than you do fossil fuels. And I don't think we're going back. And France, I think you'll agree too, if this is a battle for jobs. If you're at the state level, if you're a congressman, if you're a governor, you're fighting for these jobs. I'm talking EV manufacturing, jobs in and around the climate space, but specifically for Green Island EV around EV and electrification of transportation, whether it's a battery electric plant, whether it's a full assembly plant that employ hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, And these are good paying jobs. And I think there's a fight for it now. I'm not saying, I know everyone has read the news, Wyoming came out and they're going the opposite. Wyoming has told the market that they don't want these types of jobs in Wyoming, but that's Wyoming. But if you look at the leadership in California and look at the leadership in New York, and I would suggest even the leadership in Texas with Tesla moving in a big way to Texas, I think it's a battle for jobs, good paying jobs. These are manufacturing jobs. These are solid middle-class blue collar jobs that everyone is, is looking to grow in their state.
at the local level. Investing in the clean energy economy compared to investment in the traditional economy does create more induced job years, more direct job years, and more indirect job years. And there's plenty of studies to support that. It's absolutely right what John's saying, that this is a tremendous opportunity not just to transform into an economy that produces less pollution and end result has healthier people, but also one in which we have more gainfully employed society working in our communities, build those technologies and deploy them. And John, you brought up the Wyoming trying to go the opposite direction of saying they're going to reduce the number of sales of EVs. I just think it's funny because the oil and gas industry is going to die no matter whether they're selling EVs or not. So they're trying to control something that's like trying to like hold water, like she's going to fall through your fingers. Like you can't stop this transition. And you can't ch- stop this change. You trying to put a law and prevent EV sales is not going to help. No, it reminded me of uh, that comedy a few years ago about the tobacco industry, a tobacco lobbyist. Thank you for smoking. So it's almost as if they're going to start promoting cigarettes again as a healthy alternative for your diet or healthy way of living. I was really perplexed by that, but I agree, Billy. I think it is driven by the oil and gas industry. But however, you look at Texas, which is a oil and gas petroleum-based economy, a lot of people there, but here they are. We're able to attract the number one EV company on the planet, which is Tesla, to do business there, not just manufacture there, but really to expand their business there. And so I think you'll see petroleum-based states, economies like Texas come out and say, you know what, this makes economic sense. This just is not a good thing to help save the planet and help create a healthier way of transportation. But I think it makes fiscal sense to do it. Yeah. And that's why that Texas is the leading producer of renewable energies. You know, they have the leading number of installations of solar and wind out of any other state that's going on right now. Even in an economy like that, they're seeing this as an opportunity to convert to a cheaper, more efficient fuel to create energy. So like you said, it makes fiscal sense. It makes business sense. If you are a business professional and looking at the numbers and you're saying, okay, I can save money by doing this. That's what you're going to do. It's not anymore a question of, oh, I'll do this, but I'm going to take a hit on the back end. You do this because you're going to save money. So even if you're not even caring about the environment, you're going to save money in this way. So it's, just makes sense. And so we got onto the topic of infrastructure. Where do you guys see the infrastructure of the grid being able to change over to more cleaner fuels with this Inflation Reduction Act? I'll give you the non-politically correct answer, and that is we're nowhere near being ready for it. If you add up all the projections from the OEMs and even the legacy OEMs, but even the startup OEMs, and if you were to compile all of the projections for deliveries in 2023, that's fine. You might be able to make them and ship them. But there's no way to serve them properly from an infrastructure support. We're nowhere near being ready. Now, there's pockets of brilliance. There are certain utility companies that are working very closely with the municipalities and the communities and the businesses in those communities to bring the required infrastructure to support that fleet. But we are nowhere near being ready for it. And uh, that's just not my personal opinion. I wish it were true, but it's not. So I think if you look at some of the funding that's available, maybe Franz has a better view, is really geared towards building out that infrastructure, not just building it, but accelerating the build out of infrastructure to support 
these high aspirations. Yeah, John, I think is again, spot on. The deployment of electric vehicle charging stations, particularly for light duty vehicles. I think the president has a goal of 500,000 charging stations across the country. We're not there yet, but we are headed there. And the money actually from the bipartisan infrastructure law, I know because I was just talking to our local commissioner here in DC about the district's plan to site all those charging stations and then use the federal dollars to build them. And so it is moving. Those programs are moving. And I think we're going to see a lot of construction around us in the next year and a half that will result in the infrastructure transforming pretty rapidly thereafter or as it gets built out. And frankly, it's true. We're still on a net scale at a global level, about three to six times behind where we need to be in terms of investment in climate and clean energy solutions to truly prevent catastrophic warming. And yet, as we've been discussing, every market signal now is being sent and is starting to hotwire big time across markets. And you saw also ESG and climate and clean energy investments during the downturn of last year outperform. It's a good time for me to remind folks I don't give financial, legal, or accounting, or tax advice. Clearly, the work that is being done in the clean energy economy is working, and that really is the future that we see. I agree. And uh, would you guys like to add any last things before we wrap it up here? Front. We run an investment marketplace to let more people invest in this transition for as little as $100. And we'd love for folks to check it out. It's at raisegreen.com. We have vetted startups on there, such as John's. And it's a place for folks to come join our community, learn about the clean energy technologies, learn about the financing of those projects and companies. And ultimately, if you decide it's appropriate for you, make an investment in companies that you believe in. An easy place to find out more about Green Island, go to greenislandb.com and click the invest button to bring you into the Raise Green site where you're going to find not just Green Island DV, but you're going to find probably a dozen companies that are doing a whole host of unique things to help solve this problem. And I think to Franz's point, he can't say it, I'll say it. It's a great time to buy low, to eventually sell higher and make some money while investing in a purpose-driven space of really fine individuals trying to do great work and create jobs. I can't stress enough that Green Island DB has started. Yes, we have ambitions to help save the planet, but really what our purpose is to create jobs for upstate New York. And uh, we're pretty proud. Of and they're sustainable jobs. You're building something that's going to be sustainable for the future. That's yeah. not based in a fossil fuel that's going to run out. It's something that's really based in the future. It's a great time. So thank you both for coming on to the podcast it's been really awesome having both of you on talking about the Inflation Reduction Act, talking about what you guys are doing. So thank you so much, both of you, for coming on the show. And if you enjoyed that interview with Franz Hochstrasser and John Gilly, as we talked all about the Inflation Reduction Act and its impact on green tech startups, then I invite you to check out this interview with DC Poulter from Pitching Angels. He is an angel investor who has invested in over 10 green tech startups and over 40 different startups altogether. And he talks about his experience mentoring and investing in green tech startups. And we also touch on what it takes to catch the eye of that angel investor. So make sure you check out this interview with DC Poulter. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. And if you are interested in launching your own podcast to make an even larger impact on the world, then look no farther than the podcasting platform that I use here to launch every single episode of Green Business Impact, Podbean. I searched through all the different podcasting platforms out there and the best choice by far was Podbean. They give you truly the best value and all the resources you need to spread your message to the world by easily connecting you to all the different podcasting networks like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of them. And they give you so many resources and opportunities to monetize it as well. So if you are on the fence about which podcasting platform to go with, make sure you check out the link in the description below to register your podcast with Podbean. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.